You're listening to Brown on Brand, featuring Matthew Brown on Thumbstopper.fm. Welcome back to Brown on Brand. And uh, today we're doing our first uh, Brown in the hot seat. So I have no idea what to expect. Um, I have not talked to you about this. I was invited by you in the podcast yes, room. Yes, yes. And Lot comes to us from our team Lot Vantage. Yes. And you've been there. You're somewhat a newbie still. I am. I am. And I just wanted to have a moment to kind of sit down and just kind of pick your thoughts and give me yeah. a little insight to like who you who you are. Like okay. What makes Matt Brown? Oh no, this could be. Uh, this could go. Oh yeah. Flip or flop. <laughs> so to start it off, what was the moment where you felt like enough was enough? Right. Like something needed to change in your life. Your aha moment. Right, you're just like yeah. I need to make a like a difference. What what was that moment for you, and why? Well, maybe it's selfish. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, and I tell a lot of people this, and and sometimes they don't get the reference, but um, as a you know a young kid growing up in the Midwest, uh, one of my uh, worst memories was a summer in June and July, uh, working on a farm and detasseling corn. Okay, and I figured out um, that's not what I want to do right was you know being any type of position to where it felt like I had put in you know 40 or 50 hours and at the time during the summer it was you know now looking back as a teenager it was probably more like 15 or 20 hours but it felt like 40 or 50 hours felt full-time to me as a young person okay um, and literally it was one of those things where by the end of your day your hands are bleeding and then you you know you do that for a week and you get a check in the mail and it's you know it's 168 dollars or whatever it was back then and in uh-huh. the you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. And um, that was probably the aha moment. But I, you know, if, if the question is about, you know, what transformed me into being an entrepreneur, um, I, I have this discussion all the time with some of my mentors. Okay. And I think we believe as a consortium that entrepreneurs are always, you know, they're born. Um, and, and nobody can really describe maybe what, you know, makes up the entrepreneur from a genetic standpoint. But I, I've always felt like I've just kind of had that drive. I, you know, I wasn't particularly great in school. Mm -hmm. Um, It seemed like I had to work hard um, to be organized. I wasn't particularly organized when I was younger. And I knew that I was going to have to work different and harder than maybe the average person. And I was never scared of that. You know, we didn't, I didn't come from uh, means, if you will. And so, you know, everything that, that my family either had, they, they worked hard for. These are hardworking people. Okay. And I, I knew I wanted to get out of the Midwest and I wanted a fresh start. Um, and my grandparents migrated, you know, down to Florida at a very early age. And I fell in love with Florida. I fell in love with the sunshine and the That's salty air. Right. And yeah, so at a very early age, I mean, what was the driving point? You know, I boil it all the way back to going, man, when I detasseled corn that summer, that was like the most brutal thing in the world. What do you generally, what do you define the difference between like an entrepreneur and a visionary? And where do you fall amongst that? I don't know. And I know, you know, there's so many different variables um, that you could talk about. Um, I think people that ultimately do what they want to do and makes them happy are the most successful people in the world, regardless Mm -hmm. of kind of how much money you make. I really enjoy what I do. I enjoy working with people. I really enjoy, um, you know, building things from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the difference between an entrepreneur and a visionary, I, I, you know, to me boils down to can you execute? And I think there's a, 
I think there's a ton of wantrepreneurs, you know, people that I think it's a sexy thing. And you hear people talking about it today that, you know, the, the entrepreneur thing is, is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sexy descriptive of an individual. And, you know, some of the people that, that think that they're entrepreneurs, they might make a better team player than, you know, kind of the guy at the top of the ladder. And sometimes that's a lonely spot. And sometimes the, the pressures aren't worth it for some people. So yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know that there is an answer. The answer I would get is that I think entrepreneurs are born. Um, I think there's some nurture there, um, you know, but I think a lot of it is just nature and luck of the draw. But, you know, to me, there's some things you can't teach. And the one thing that I've never been able to teach or correct, I can correct attitude, I can correct um, misguidance, you know, things that they've picked up, bad habits. You know, I can even correct sometimes commonsensical issues. I can never correct drive. You know what I mean? I th- yeah. You know, so I, you know, drive is one of those things that I don't know that you can teach it. It's like I, I see these, you know, one of my one of my closest mentors told me, um, you know, years ago they asked him to do a, a class or a speech at one of these Ivy League schools on, um, you know, how to become an entrepreneur. And, you know, it was, you know, his story goes something like this. He agreed to do it if they would change the name because he was arguing with the dean that you couldn't teach people to be entrepreneurs, you, that you could hone their, you know, their skill sets. They could go to school. They could learn some things. But, it, you know, if I, you know, it'd be like, you know, breeding a professional baseball player. I mean, it, it's yeah, you can put them in as many practices as you want. But if your kid has two left feet, then he's probably not going to be a good center fielder. Right. Because he can't pivot and move. So it, it's I think a lot of it is just. You know, and that's where people, I, I hear the word blessed and, you know, I, you know, some people regard it as a, a religious, you know, um, descriptive. And I, I look at blessed as things like that. Like, you know, I'm blessed to be born in a country where I don't have to, you know, try to go someplace else. I'm blessed to be born, you know, with some of the physical characteristics that I got that drive. So I, you know, again, you know, hitting the genetic lottery, maybe uh, in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, privileged in a lot of ways. And, and so I've had a, I've had a really good support network. I've had good employees. I've had, you know, good customers. And, and so I, f- I feel blessed. Okay. So what would you say pushes you, right? What, ki- what keeps pushing you to this day to keep going when you like, even though you found this much success, yeah. what drives you yeah. to keep doing what you're doing? A number of things drive me. Number one, I have two teenage daughters. Um, you know, probably if you would ask me at a young age, I was selfish enough to say, I don't ever want kids. Um, and, and now that I have kids, I, the things that I'm learning from my teenage daughters, the things that kids are being bashed uh, about today, um, you know, they're, they're, they've been given tools. It's a great time to live. This is the most awesome time to me ever in history is to live in a time where, you know, you can do anything you want to do. If, if you want to be a farmer, Right. You know, three generations ago, it took 100 years to figure out how to cultivate and the rains and the timing and everything else. I mean, now you can do it in, you know, four days. You get on Google. How do I farm? And you can start growing aerial plants, you know, in a steel building if you wanted to. Um, So, you know, I think I have a lot of faith in the youth. But what drives me? My kids drive me. Um, You know, I've got that internal drive to where there are things I'm still figuring out today. There are things that I'm learning about marketing and branding. Um, I've been, you know, I've always touted myself as a tech CEO, so I've been given some gifts to be able to, 
um, turn business problems, human labor problems into, uh, you know, technology that eliminates that or software that eliminates that. And, and we've been very good at that for the last 15 years and we found success. And, you know, today we support, you know, 10,000 plus uh, retailers across North America. We're looking at expanding internationally. Um, you know, but that, a number of things drive me. It's, you know, I often wonder, well, what, what would retirement really be like? I can't imagine not doing, as long as I'm physically capable of getting out of bed, I have no aspiration of quitting. I, this, is, this is my vacation. You know, I, I find myself away for four or five days, and I'm having a really good time, and I cherish my time with my family, but it's like I'm ready to get back to the office, and people think I'm crazy. I'm like, oh, my God, thank God it's Monday. You know, I've had enough of the, you know, the couple of days I, you know, I, I take a deep breath and, um, but, you know, even through the weekend, I, I find myself busy, whether it's I'm out in my shop and I'm building something or, you know, if you follow me on Instagram, you know, I love, you know, <laughs> buying cars and tearing them <laughs> apart and, you know, building race cars. But, you know, I, I don't know what drives me other than I just love, I love this game. I love, I love doing it. I, that's awesome. And then with that with that passion and that drive, right, throughout this whole journey that you've been to get to where you are, what would you say was like your biggest failure? And why did it hurt so much? And what did you learn from it? What did you take away from that? A lot of my failures I could chalk up to one thing, and that's a, something that I became obsessed with. The small businesses have never had the marketing budgets Um that they've needed to survive. And that's what I love about what's going on on social media and the internet today is that your small retailers, you know, the thing that really, you know, makes up the economy. And I know this is the, you know, it's a thing that just keeps getting repeated and it's stale by now, but small business really does power um, a big part of our economy. And, you know, some of these small businesses that we work with, they're rural dealers that sell farm equipment or material goods and they don't they don't have the marketing budgets the REITs and I and I've been obsessed as a small business and I failed at some of the small businesses I've had um, and I look back and you know marketing is still challenging me today is is a not so small business um, you know because it's forever changing and we've gone very quickly over the last 10 years from you know nothing but traditional media yeah. that means you had to do billboards, radio, TV, newspapers. And then you had the birth of kind of the internet and, and, you know, we were all scared of, uh, you know, things going online and retail going online, but we're finally getting there. I mean, look at what d uh, Amazon's done to, to change the playing field and, um, you know, of being able to purchase something online and have it delivered right away. The, um, you know, it's just, it, it's staying on top of, what's available for small businesses to link into. And if you look at my history and the things that have been somewhat repetitive, you know, as a goal, and that's been how to eliminate the labor side out of, you know, selling things online, selling your services. And, and today the game's completely changed because social media has changed it. And it's not about anymore what you manufacture or you're selling, but it's really more about the story that you're telling online about those products because you know the youth is is digesting things a lot differently so i just love the game you know and that's maybe a a, a double answer but I, I i love the game of just trying to stay on top of that you know and articulate that by planning managing and executing in business 
for future entrepreneurs out there who's trying to start this, is there any step-by-step process that yeah. they can follow? Is there any pitfalls they should avoid? Yeah. Um, here's the pitfalls I would avoid. And a lot of people, um, you know, fail uh, because they fail to plan. Mm-hmm. And very early on, um, one of my mentors backed me into a um, Arthur Anderson, you know, level sales and marketing plan. And before it was, you know, things were kind of by the seat of my pants. And I realized every year I spent about 30 to 45 days in planning what that year's um, sales expectations were, you know, what our budgets were going to be. And so by planning, then I had something to manage. And then by planning and managing, it gave me the only shot that you could get at execution, because I can tell you, it's hard to execute by the seat of your pants. So the ability to get your hands and grasp around a real business plan, and I know that sounds very generic advice, but I, you know, I got to tell you, that would be the fundamental. When I look at, and I, and I make investments today, you know, that's us.com. We kind of act as a micro VC and I have plenty of companies that come to us, some that we meet through, uh, you know, even podcasting, um, they come to, come to us for funding and, you know, sometimes I'll say, no, I'm not going to put money, you know, in, in, in the company and I'm not going to invest any resources in the company. And this used to be a mistake that I made. And well, why not? Because I'd rather help you with something else. I'd rather help you put together the business plan so you can see clearly, you know, what the expectations are of the potential revenue. And yeah, you got to have a crystal ball to predict revenue, but there are some practices that you can do to kind of look at, um, you know, the marketplace or the vertical you're trying to tackle, the competition. There's just a, there's a quick understudy that you can do to put together a good sales and marketing plan that will help you plan, you know, manage and execute. That's inter- that's interesting that you say that, right? Because it, it's amazing what you were able to accomplish in the years that you've been doing this, right? Yeah. What makes Thumbstopper do what it does? Like Thumbstopper, if we had, if we were in an elevator and okay. I only had four floors and you All said, right. Matt, tell me what Thumbstopper does. Um, Thumbstopper does one thing. It connects the brand with the retailers that are selling their physical goods. Okay. Right. And so what does that mean? Um, what we do is, is that these, these brands, they have physical products they sell. And the way they get those products to market is through a a retailer or a distributor network, right? And those retailers or distribution networks um, take those physical goods and they either have those physical goods, they put them on a shelf and people come in and buy them, or they buy them online from a retailer and they're either drop shipped or shipped from that facility to that consumer, right? And um, there's a very logical, well-tested um, retail network in most verticals today. So it doesn't depend on, you know, or it doesn't matter whether you're talking about bicycles is the vertical or firearms is a vertical or beauty supplies is a vertical. Those, excuse me, brands, manufacturers, they've done a great job of connecting to the retail network. And in some cases, they, they, they liquidate through Amazon and eBay and, and sites online like that. Um, but for the most part, the retail networks figured out where where they are disconnected because it's new is that the retailer has a social media presence today that is a huge influencer of these physical products and services. And the brand isn't connected at all to the to the social media pages of those retailers. And that's what Thumbstopper fixes. Okay. We're connected to a brand's retailers through a token, through a username and a password, a token. And we're able to 
take the right product from the brand and shelve it right on their social media pages automatically the same way that they shelve their physical products. And so by doing that, it opens up a world of opportunity for that brand to then execute on advertising on social media to those consumers through that same social media outlet. And so we're able to share content about the brand. Remember I told you it's not about the products that you make today, it's the it's about the story that you tell, mm-hmm. right? And that story's being told told on social media. And after working with um, you know, 8 to 10,000 retailers and helping these small retailers move those physical products whether it be a car and truck dealer, you know, or a beauty salon, um, I realized that the brand wasn't connected at all. And a lot of these brands have co-op dollars. Those are monies that are collected from, you know, as the franchise and they're spent locally. When you see a Little Caesars commercial locally, that's usually money that the local Little Caesars spends money on that TV ad, but they also get money from the parent, right? The Mm -hmm. corporate Little Caesars, and they pay into that an advertising fund. And the co-op programs work differently. So we connect brands a lot of times through co-op money, which is the retailer's money anyway, so it doesn't cost the brand a lot. Sometimes not. Sometimes a retailer picks it all up. But the retailers love the Thumbstopper product because they're able to share on social media without having to physically put it on the shelf, on their wall, things that the manufacturer that they're selling put out automatically. And then we can turn that into advertising to local consumers in their local markets, which help them sell more products. So now, now that you kind of, you know, described why Thumbstopper, the answer to the why Thumbstopper was simply be because there was a huge disconnect between the brand social media presence and the retailer social media presence. And, and, and so that in theory was how Thumbstopper was born. Man, that is neat. Mm-hmm. So, like, just getting out of Thumbstopper was simply a product inside of Lot Vantage initially, and, okay. it, and it grew into its own company. So, here's the question I ask you: Do you consider Lot Vantage a tech company or a social media company? Lot Vantage is absolutely a technology company. Lot Vantage. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how about Thumbstopper? Thumbstopper is absolutely a technology company. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So. In terms of like branding, like where, where does Thumbstopper fall on branding, right? Internally, there's a lot of things that we're figuring out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to me, the hardest, um, you know, thing to do is pioneer a new philosophy in business. And we, we, we did this years ago with Lot Vantage and Craigslist back when, you know, we were the first company to put cars and trucks on Craigslist commercially. And um, originally when we were you know, talking to car dealers, you, we were telling them how the service worked and what it cost. In the middle of, um, you know, the auto dealer paying two, three, four, five, six, twelve thousand $12,000 a month for AutoTrader to get their cars on AutoTrader, um, they just didn't understand how they could, you know, you know, why they would do something for two or $300. Okay. And Craigslist was free to list on, so our service fee was a few hundred dollars. We could take your entire inventory there. So for 10% of the cost of an average auto trader, we were delivering out of the box as many leads as auto trader was delivering. Um, you know, and, and there was a battle going on there. And then I had not only was I pioneering something, but I had a company that was pissed off about the results. And, you know, I can remember auto trader, um, you know, talking about, um, whether they were qualified leads. And there was a lot of truth in that. Auto Trader had a good point. The people that were visiting Auto Trader were there for one thing. It 
they were there to buy a car. Um, and, and, you know, talk about pioneers, Auto Trader have been pioneers and everybody knows who Auto Trader is. But at the time, Craigslist was breaking through. You know, now today, it would be crazy not to have your entire inventory on sites like Craigslist. And there's many of those sites um, that do, um, you know, the same thing. There's the let goes and the offer ups mm -hmm. and some of the deals you're doing right now in Lot Manage with yeah. some of those classified marketplaces. You know, but today you'd have to be crazy to be a retailer and for a few hundred dollars not have your inventory where, um, you know, a website exists, Craigslist, that's the 13th most visited website in the United States today still, right? Okay. And, um, you know, so so being a pioneer, um, you know, inside a marketplace is very difficult. So back to the branding, you know, there's still some things we're figuring out. And that's one of the deals um, with why we were so attracted to Gary Vaynerchuk is going, man, this guy is really with VaynerX and, you know, VaynerMedia and some of the things that they were doing with big brands. I needed help. Mm -hmm. I needed help to understand, you know, how and what the latest and greatest practices were. And I needed somebody that was deploying, you know, large amounts of uh, capital into these medians so I didn't have to make the mistake with a customer's money is that I could actually take from data and extract where a business was geographically and then deploy that capital into the spend on advertising where that could be most effective. And that's what's beautiful about how LotVantage and Thumbstopper and SellerVantage and some of our other tech companies harmonize. The data that we aggregate, we see what does well. Like I can tell you that Lakeland, Florida is a great place to be selling trucks is a pre-owned yeah. dealer. And if you're a, you know, if you're a car and truck dealer in Lakeland, Florida, and you have BMWs, um, you know, those are outside reach. Tampa's a great market for that and Boca Raton and some of the other places that might be 120 mile radius from that location. And I'm using cars and trucks as an example, obviously, because that's what yeah. my advantage is focused on is on the motor side. Um, but the, you know, it's that, you know, that's the real blend is the blend of data. We're learning some things about the branding, you know, I'm not sure how to be any clearer about what we do. And um, we've onboarded three new brands this week. Um, but, it, you know, there are brands that we're talking to that we're just, they're lifestyle brands. They're, brand, they're bicycle manufacturers and, you know, and their retailers aren't telling their stories on social media. So there's a lot of things we're trying to figure out on branding. Um, that's the big expansion that you're talking about with onboarding new people. Mm -hmm. Our marketing department, um, you know, is going to double again in size here uh, in Q4 this year. Okay. It's funny you mentioned Gary, right? So I feel like Gary and all these other businesses are very much caught into the idea of metrics. There's numbers, there's revenues, right? And then sometimes because we are so focused on that, right? Yeah. That a little bit of our humanity gets lost in between that. Yeah. Right? The question is, is like, what would your, what is your advice to correct that? Right. How do you yeah. fix something like that? On the balance of, um, I think what I heard was culture and, um, you know, turning it into more than just straight numbers all the time, you know, unfortunately in the sport that I'm in, um, back to the planning, managing and executing, it mm -hmm. all boils down to numbers and I'm a numbers guy. I love numbers. Um, how do you not lose your humanity? That was, you know, that was a question I think yep. in all of that. I got to tell you, you know, I have people tell me all the time they got these ideas and, um, you know, some of them are not, you know, they're not, you know, they don't have scruples behind them. And, and to me, it's always been kind of easy because I think 
Um, you know, the old adage of if you make sure that everybody around you kind of gets what they want to get, you're going to get what you want to get. The old adage of going about something like that. And, and to be honest with you, we have really, really, really good people. And, um, you know, sometimes we've turned somebody that might have been struggling. And I tend to go a little bit longer with individuals and in trying to find the right fit for that person once they're on board. And, and we've had people that started off in the sales department, ended up technology people and vice versa. Right. So how do you not lose your humanity in all of it? It's like, I enjoy it every day. I enjoy, you know, I had a, excuse me, a heated conversation this morning with the marketing department okay. about a few things. And they had a, a disagreement about, you know, what I was thinking, um, um, that, that, a that a creative should look like. And, and, it, and it's like, I told them, I said, you know, these are the kind of things that make the magic, you know, diamonds are made under pressure. And, and a lot of people, I try to work with people and tell them you can't take this stuff personal, mm-hmm. right? No matter whether we agree to disagree or whether yeah. um, you got to do something twice because the way I told you to do it maybe ended up being wrong. And I'll be the first to admit going, you know, nobody bats a thousand. Um, but what do I trust, you know, my judgment? Because I think I'm a guy that bats probably six or 700. And in the big leagues, that's a, that's a great average. And so I'm going to go with my gut here. And then, you know, you know, sometimes it's demeaning because somebody then would have to go the, through the hard work. And, I, and, I, and I'll take that for granted, the hard work of either doing something twice or, you know, so how do you not lose your humanity through it is, is you coach people through that and you coach yourself through it and you don't take it that seriously. You know, we don't, we don't meet all our objectives. We don't meet all our timelines. We don't hit all of our numbers. Um, I don't have a crystal ball or we would do that. And, and so how do you not lose your humanity and, you know, how do you keep it on rails? It's you do things um, with strong morals and you do things, you know, you have courage in your convictions. That, that is awesome. That is a great insight. I think, like, just taking that away, like, you can really learn a lot. Um, well, you got to make a lot of mistakes to have a lot of experience. And, you do. And, and I've you been, to. you know, I've been around, a, a, you know, a number of things that, that have failed. And you always try to look back and go, what would I do differently? Right. And it usually uh, boils down to, you know, either ignorance on a subject. And, and so I, I kind of overstudy a subject now before we, we get into deploying a product or whatever or vertical. And, um, and you can't, you know, back to the original point is you can't do enough planning. And, and you know, just down to, you know, I look at these small companies and, and they're like, I don't understand why my operations department's so screwed up. You know, and I dive into it and I go, you know, let me see the job descriptions of each person and the job requirements right up. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, well, we don't really, let me see the org chart. You know, we don't have some of those things or they're not, they're not done right. And, and so when you sit down with people and you expect them to do a job, if you don't have a set of job requirements and a job description, the things that you're accustomed to when you got onboarded here, I guarantee yeah. you, you did not get in, hired into a position. We don't recruit for a position until we have a written job description a set of job requirements, yep. and then we have a way to onboard that person into a department so they feel like that at least they have the tools to be successful. And those are the things that I'm talking about with the planning. There are just so many fundamentals that, you know, I feel sorry for these kids. Man, I got these kids with, they've got master's degrees in business. They don't know anything about business. Do you know anything about operational guidelines? No. Do you know anything about, uh, you know, sales and marketing plans? No. Well, what did you learn in business school? I mean, why did you spend the hundred and forty grand? Where did you go to school, and what did you do? 
you know, so it, it's like, I'm lost, you know, I'm lost mm -hmm. with that, but I can take fundamentally, you know, the practices that we have. And if people will come in and if they can become an orchestrator of those plans and they can manage that, you know, I've got a 700, you know, or 70% execution rate when it comes to being on numbers, being on timelines. And when we do a blend and on August 22nd, when we do our annual convention and I get up and I do our, our annual thing in front of the company, those are the things that we unveil. This will be your first one this year. Yeah, I'm excited. Is that, you know, we unveil what our success rates are. We talk about our failures and that's setting up for the end of the year planning for 2020. That's how early we're talking about is the middle of the year this year. We're already thinking about 2020. Love, I love it. I love it. So well, like you said, like as, as we're growing as a company, right? Yeah. As we're getting bigger and bigger and there's more employees coming in, like how do you get them to believe in your why? When we bring people in, and you were probably part of this process, um, we have a formulation where we look at, you know, four to six candidates for the job. Mm -hmm. And... Um, we do a lot of weird stuff when it comes to uh, making sure that this person's a good fit for the culture. And I, you know, the girls swear up and down. There's things that they can't tell me that they have to tell these candidates about our culture because it's fast paced. But the nice part of that is, is there's a work life balance. However, um, you know, we enunciate, you know, hard work and, um, you've been, you know, you've fallen right into the fire that how long have you been here now? God, it's been like, I believe almost like a month and a half. A month, okay. For 45 days. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, you're off to the races, you're helping them with the social media side. I mean, you were, you were thrown in the fire, right? With a set of requirements and a set of yep. guidelines and, and you've helped, uh, you know, kind of be a part of that. Um, it's, you know, it's a balance. It's, it, it's, it's a balance. So with that being said, would you say your younger self would be very proud of you? And the decisions that you're making right now, would you say your future self would be proud of you as well? Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, it's amazing to me some of the things that we've accomplished, um, especially with such humble roots. And um, again, I've been very blessed to have resources and good people around me that have helped me, um, you know, through some of the things I feel like I've you know, I've got a PhD and a half a dozen different things, maybe psychology being, <laughs> being the number one, because, you know, working, yeah, working with humans, it's, uh, you know, it's challenging and managing people is probably the hardest part of anybody's job. Um, because everybody has different ideas and, and different approaches and, and just being respectful of that. But, you know, back to the, you know, kind of, how do I make people see, you know, the direction, I think you come into an environment like this and, and I've, we've always have some new project and, or some, you know, being a digital tech company, you can't rest for six months. I mm -hmm. mean, we've been throwing so oh, many curveballs with, you know, the, the day Craigslist started charging for ads, you know, 40% of my revenue went away, you know, my board of directors and, and some of my shareholders were looking at me like, you know, now what? And, you know, we, we trucked through it and we figured we had 48 hours to figure it out how to connect a, a transaction so we could collect the three to five bucks. And, you know, the, I think our average lifespan of an, of an employee now is 5.7 years. Um, wow. and that's only because we have so many new ones. I mean, a year mm -hmm. ago that was, you know, seven and a half years was the average lifespan of a, of an employee, you know, at that's us technologies. And, um, you know, 
people find a home here. They, you know, we, again, we find, we find a way to fit people categorically into a place where their whatever their skill set is, um, you know, we can move them into where we need that and, 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 and capitalize on their strengths. And, and some of the marketing people that I've hired, you know, they thought they were creative people and they were really more, um, execute executioners of advertising, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's funny how things work out. So when all said and done, what kind of impact do you want to leave? Like, what do you want the world to remember you as? Man, that's a loaded question. Um, number one, a good father. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I take that job real serious. Um, number two, I think uh, a leader that, you know, has the empathy. Um, but at the same time I need to work on, you know, having a bigger stick. Cause I, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of my mentors tell me, you know, fire fast and hire slow. Um, we've done a very good job of, of not being able to have to do that. And I don't want people to feel like politically if, if they're having a bad week or whatever, that this is some you know, execution camp of employees. Yeah, that's awful. And, uh, you know, I, you know, so it, 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 to me, I, you know, I don't know that I want, I have no aspirations about being in any magazines. Um, I'm very proud of what we've accomplished. I'm very fortunate to be where we are today, but you know, we've got a long way to go. Um, you know, I have big goals for this company. Um, and as I look across the landscape, uh, the, the biggest challenge I have today is how do I get the right creative and word out to let brands and retailers know that there's an effective, efficient methodology in which you can connect to the end consumer and it no longer requires massive budgets to do that, um, even though there's been companies out there that have been masterful at extracting large amounts of capitals with very little reporting or ROI. And to be honest with you, what if I were if I had aspirations of being like a, a Steve Jobs type of person and by no means am I comparing myself <laughs> to uh, a guy matter of fact he'd be the last guy I'd want to be on the planet because I think he was a miserable guy. Um, <laughs> but if I want to compare myself to somebody who I actually had uh, you know um, aspirations to be a good humanitarian. It'd be a Bill Gates, maybe more of it. And, and again, not to, to make the comparison, but I would want to be known as, you know, the guy or the company that created the first hyper agency, um, that utilizes technology, uh, to do that. So we could, we could hone in on spending the right amount of, amount of capital, um, or money for each small business. And we could get them the mar- most ROI, to those small businesses where we could get this uptick again in small business, you know, market share. Okay. Wow. Well, thank you for sitting with yeah, me. That's all the yeah. questions I got, big Thanks, guy. Locke. So, man, I appreciate, I appreciate you. Thank you, Locke, for the invitation. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, great questions. And, um, you know, some of them were off the cuff enough to where I probably stumbled on a few of them, but <laughs> I had a great time and I really appreciate that, Thanks. man. That was fun. Solid. First time I've been in this seat. Thanks for listening. And remember, subscribe to Brown on Brand at thumbstopper.fm or wherever fine podcasts can be found.